0: In empowerment from your holy word, we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. So today we're going to talk about the word. We're going to talk about the fact that Jesus' word was with power. His word was with power. Amen. His word was with power. This is what distinguished him from the others, (laughs) Amen. and this is what distinguishes true believers from the others because you know that there are many people speaking there are many people talking there are many people uh, saying things but when it was spoken of Jesus they said this about him his word is with power and that's in Luke chapter 4 and verse 32 This was after, we'll go back to the uh, events preceding this, but this was after (coughs) he was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. Went about doing good and healing all that were sick. Amen. The anointing is for healing. Amen. The anointing is for healing. I know many times we... (coughs) Think that healing is something, oh, we don't all have that gift or whatever, whatever. But the Bible says believers will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And so we have to have a, a understanding of the anointing, understanding of the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have to have a relationship with God. And so we'll talk about why Jesus' word was with power. So in Luke chapter 4, I think it's verse. <coughs> How did they get over there? 4 verse 32. I said that already. Um, <clears throat> this was after Jesus had been in the synagogue and read the scripture. And says, <clears throat> verse 31, he came down to Capernaum, the, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. How did they know? Well, power can be detected. It can be discerned. And the power of God is always confirmed with signs following. Always confirmed. The Lord works with them confirming his word with signs following. We said this would be the year of the believer and the confirmed word. Really, sometimes the only thing you need to do to get the word of God confirmed is is to reach out and help somebody. You know, Christians would do what their hearts are leading them to do, and that is when somebody complains to you, you can offer them prayer, offer them Jesus, offer them a remedy, a spiritual remedy. And oftentimes you will find that that little urging on the inside of you is the power of the Holy Spirit to come in and remedy that situation. God does not show up just to give us a pep talk. You can get that from any idiot anywhere. You can get somebody come and tell you it's going to be alright. You know. Oh you have greatness on the inside of you. Well I want to see it come on the outside and do something. You know you want to have greatness confirmed with signs following. We got to quit playing games with each other in this regard and so Jesus's word was with power they were astonished at his doctrine he made such an impact <clears throat> verse 33 in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice saying let us alone that Jesus hadn't done anything to him he just spoke but his word was had, was so powerful it disturbed the demonic world so that's one way that the power of your words is confirmed because it disturbs lesser spirits and dislodges them because it's a greater word. It's a greater power from the greater one. And so when that <clears throat> unclean power reaches the holiness of God, guess who's going to move and be disturbed? God's not going to be disturbed. He's the one with the ultimate power. And so the one being dislodged will be disturbed. And so <clears throat> Jesus cast the devil out, came out of him and didn't hurt him anymore. And this is what astonished people about Jesus. How did, how did Jesus get this power? How did What gave him the power and what gave Jesus his power? The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 1, if you'll turn there. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The same was in the beginning with God. So he was in the beginning with God. The word was. The word was with God. And the word was God. Jesus got his power through association. That's how you and I get it. We get it the same way he got it through association. Now, you can associate with people in the right way and in the wrong way. So, association according to the plan of God is the only association that will empower you. You see so many people wanting to be around certain kinds of people because they have something that they wish they had. But if you're just going around somebody because you wish they had what they had, to me, that's not the right kind of association. See, God doesn't draw you to people because you admire, look up to, wish, covet. That's not God drawing you to that individual. That's your flesh wanting to and thinking that your flesh is really wishing That if you could just breathe the same air that that person breathes, what they have will fall off on you some kind of way. You got me? Or that somehow they'll be able to look at you and say, well, you're the next so-and-so and such-and-such and and give you a prophecy that's going to put you, set you off. Your flesh always wants a quick, fast, and dirty way to fame. Jesus was not looking for fame. He was looking to obey the Father. And so as long as you're looking to obey the Father, your associations you will associate with the right people in the right way. Many times we're around people and we, we don't want to listen to what they preach or what they teach because we think we're on the same level and we don't have anything to gain through, you know, sitting there, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I see many times ministers will come to conferences where the word is flowing and revelation is flowing and they just sit there and everybody wants to be on the front row, you know, with a nice suit on and sit there with your hands folded trying to look deep and judging everything that comes by. And then some of them never sit at all. And I just think that's a bad witness for your flock that you never sit under there's nobody on God's earth that you feel is worthy of receiving what they the revelation that God's given to that vessel. You understand what I'm saying? And so and I realize that when you're called to ministry, you have your own Relationship with God for how you get your your feeding from the sheep, but I believe also that when God puts you in an atmosphere where the word is going forth, that word is for you as well as for everybody else who's there. There's you know it's not like you ever get to where you don't need the word and need your spirit built up anymore. <clears throat> I remember um, <clears throat> when we were. Uh, early in the ministry and we would have these uh, impartation services and anointing services and we would have special services where we would lay hands on the everybody that was there and I can remember some people that always were in line to, to get the impartation and they're still preaching now. And I know there are people that sat and just refused to get in line and you don't even hear from them anymore. They don't even have a ministry. So I believe it pays when God puts you in an atmosphere. It pays to understand why you're there and you can receive what's being preached from the pulpit. You don't just need a word from the prophet all the time. But sometimes you just need to get some understanding and some things put together right in your spirit. And so associating with the right people in the right way will also bring the power into your life. And so the Word was with God and then the Word was God. See, after a while there's no difference in sometimes in the ministration or the administration of the Holy Spirit between us and the Lord. We can have everything that Jesus had if we will follow his pattern of how he was equipped and how he was empowered by God. And so when the, when the spirit of God really takes over in a person, you can operate in the same way that Jesus did. So then the word was with God and the word becomes God working through us. It works the same way. So when we are with God, we're in his will. Then the Spirit of Christ operates in us, then we have empowered words just like Jesus' words were empowered. Christ operates in us in the fullness as much as we yield to the power of God. Through association with the Father, Jesus received all the power that he needed. He would go away to a solitary place from time to time, and he would spend time with the Father. They, the disciples reported as going to a solitary place to pray. But I think sometimes he just was there in fellowship with the Father. Sometimes he just needed to be in the Father's presence saying nothing. Sometimes he was on his face with requests, etc., etc. We have all of those needs within us as well. We need to sit in the presence of God. We need to hear from God. We need to pour out our hearts to God. We need to talk to Him and communicate fully with Him. So the right association with the right person in the right atmosphere will always bring us the power of God. When God puts you in a local fellowship or assembly, always associate correctly with not only the leadership, but the other people in that atmosphere. We have to have right associations all the way across the board. We have to have right associations toward leadership. You can't uh, be uh, scornful when they give you a job to do or give you a task to do or something like that you have to just accept it because god is probably speaking to that person to tell you these things they're there to help you equip you train you and develop you in things of the spirit and so that that takes a certain level of trusting god not just trusting that individual but we must trust god to have the right association with the right people we are we are to honor and respect those that he puts in authority over us uh, you you can't uh, um, you can't correct upwards you know that's that's wrong that's called rebellion or witchcraft. Uh, when when they correct you it's because God has put them put you under their care. There's nothing to be fearful about a person who's under God being over you there's no fear there there's a great protection there and there's great if you receive it the right way and not be so hard headed and think everything everybody's trying to take advantage of you and oh, they're they trying to mess with my gift everybody thinks their gift is you know going to get messed with some way you know come on now if it's been living in you ever since you were born and nothing could mess it up same thing with me. If you ain't messed it up yourself by now. A godly person that God puts over you. They can only help it honey. Praise the Lord. I'll wake up y'all and tsk, laugh anyway. I don't care what y'all do. I am not talk to myself. But we receive power through association with God. <clears throat> And it's so important to stay with the people God assigns you to. You Don't get, don't get the grass is greener on the other side syndrome and go out like a, a, a crazy band, roving band of sheep looking for, for scraps and crumbs off somebody else's table. God's prepared a table for you with everything that you might ever need in the place where you're assigned to fellowship. There's everything you need there, right there in that house. And so if there's some other things that you need that, that aren't offered there, God will make sure that you get those things as well. But my my experience has been that most people don't really master and receive everything that's being taught them anyway, where they are in their local fellowship. And so I think once you master that, then God can help you to uh, gain strength and, and do more things for him. It's all about serving and it's all about service. It's not about <clears throat> being important and it's not about lording it over anybody. But it's about uh, God equipping us as servants. And so we have to keep that uppermost in our mind. If, if serving really isn't in your thoughts, then you won't have much power you won't be motivated to do the things that it takes to receive power. And so we, we receive power because our heart longs to help people. You know, you see people out here that, uh, you know, uh, had lost a loved one through some tragedy and, and all of that. And you want to be able to help those individuals. And I think if you will uh, stay with God and understand that that's him wanting to work through you and and just stay with that, then you'll be able to develop into the type of person who always has an answer, who always knows the right prayer to pray, who can always, when, when you see the that individual, you you see them and you expect them to tell you that that prayer was answered. You're not afraid to be around them anymore after you prayed for them because you don't think that that prayer ever came to pass. So when you have that power working in you, that power has a knowing that what it has declared and what it has established will definitely come to pass. And that's the way Jesus operated. He never had any concerns about Anybody that he prayed for not getting the results that he prayed for them to have. Never had any doubts about it. And we need to live in that realm where we never have any doubts that what we have spoken will definitely come to pass. So, the words that how to get power on your words is number one, you must receive the Word of God. You must receive the Word of God. Receiving we always receive it by hearing. Proverbs four, if you want to turn there you can, but Proverbs four twenty through twenty two tell you to hold on to the Word of God. Incline your ear to it. In order, in other words, hear it on purpose. Don't let it be an accident hearing the word. Don't let it be while you're waking up from snoozing you know, in the service that you heard something that you, what, what, uh, huh? You incline your ear on purpose to hear the word of God. You know, I don't let the devil rob from me. You know, if you're you're in the service and you're attentive to God's word, you will have so much more going out of the service than you would if you just sat there and didn't pay any attention to anything. I don't understand that, 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 This word is so charged with power and it's so alive and it's so God. How could you not stay alert and awake? But, you know, people let and You need to talk to the devil and say, "Uh uh-uh, devil, you're not putting me to sleep again. You're not robbing me of the word. Because that's how we get robbed of the word. You know, we just let the enemy come in and, you know, you start feeling something. I got up too early. Making excuses for it you know I've been down that road and I found down that road was no success There was no ministry, there was no helping people, there was no helping myself, there was nothing down that road. So I made the devil leave me alone. I know The reason I read the word when I first wake up is because at bedtime it don't do you a whole lot of good. Because he'll definitely put you to sleep if you wait until the end of the day before you talk to God or pay God some attention. So give him your first fruits of your day. Give him the first of your attention. Give him what he deserves and that's the first of everything. So the first um, step in receiving the word is to hear the word. The Bible says incline your ear. You know what incline means? It means to stretch out and hear it on purpose. You hear that word on purpose. Hold on to it. He says don't let it depart from your eyes. Keep it in the midst of your heart. See you, you have to fight to hold on to God's word. It's not just an automatic thing. Sometimes you'll get in a service and a scripture will sound familiar to you and you'll start to get relaxed about it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is familiar. I've read this before, so forth and so on. I remember listening to uh, Robert Lairdon preach years ago about uh, Brother Hagen, Brother Hagen's meetings and he was teaching on Mark 11, 23 and uh, robert said you know mark 11:23 kind of got to be a joke among you know smart mouth yes. students yes. around that town and he says uh, he said whenever he would say open your bibles to mark 11:23,' everybody would go oh boy here it he goes again uh, making fun of the old man and even his son, uh, Brother Hagin said he was riding home from a meeting one time and his son Ken Jr. asked him, he said, Daddy when you get up and tell them stories, is you really preaching or you just telling stories? That he was a little kid and he was bored already, you know. But Brother Hagin kept gi- giving people what God wanted him to give them. And so Robert said that he went in to hear that sermon for the umpteenth time. He said, and something snapped in me while I was listening. He said, when I walked out of that meeting, I owned that scripture. Man, in other words, all of that going on and on about and people judging and oh boy here comes a that was come to rob that word from them and as long as you sit there and believe you've heard it all before and you don't need any you don't need to pay attention to the word you know that's for these people that ain't as old in the Lord as I am and I've been coming to this church 20 years and you look at them they knew and they needed and I don't all that nonsense and he said he finally Shook that off, paid attention. He said, when I came out of that, I own that scripture. He said, and I started applying it to everything in my life. And the results were phenomenal. <clears throat> Why? <clears throat> well, he finally obeyed Proverbs 4. That says, don't let it depart. Keep it, hold on. to uh, Don't let it get up. Uh, get that word back. Don't let it get away from you. Because it will get away from you. Your own mind will make it get away from you. So he grabbed we we grab the word and we hold on. We pay full attention to God's word. Let all other words go past you. Huh? Let all other words go past you. The doctor's words, let them go past you. Huh? Amen. The the finance company's words, let them go past you. The credit card people that you keep you know, maxing out that same credit card and you wondering when they gonna come. Let let those words go past you. You gotta get a word from God because he can rescue you even though you didn't do the right thing. If you did the right thing all the time you wouldn't need rescuing, would you? Huh? You wouldn't need rescuing. And so he rescues us. Because you allow that word to get inside of you and you refuse to believe anything contrary to the word of God. Whenever something comes up, if something new you haven't tried before, the first thing that comes to your mind, I can't do that. Well, that's not what the Word of God says. He says, I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. If it's something that's on your plate to do that's going to be good for you, it's going to prosper you, it's going to bless you, and God opens the door for it, you can do that. You can do all of that. But see, the fact that you've never done it before, that doesn't mean you can't do it. Huh? Doesn't stop you from doing nothing else you wasn't supposed to do. Hello? I remember smoking cigarettes in the bathroom, blowing the smoke out the window when I was a kid. And I said I would never smoke. But you know, peer pressure, I had an older sister, she ain't do easy make you do anything. <laughs> you're right, you right. Pastor Shirley was too young. But ain't do easy, come on in here and smoke these cigarettes. <laughs> We're a little bossy self. So there I was smoking, blowing smoke, and, and it took me years to get rid of that habit. And it didn't, I mean, it looked a little grown up, but bad kids did that. You know, rough kids did that. I didn't do that kind of stuff, but I did it anyway. So don't tell me you can't hold on to God's word and obey God's word and do some of the things you used to be afraid to do in God. You can always step out and do a new thing. You can always step out and do more. You can always step out and do greater things. So receiving the word, grab onto that word, hold on to that word, don't let that word go. Keep it in your ears, hide it in your heart, keep it cuz it's life to you. That word is life. It's not just some word that you, you know, can skip over and you don't have to hold on to. That word is life, folks. And you're going to need life in the middle of the week. You're going to need life when you get out the door. Now huh? So after you receive the word, the second part in, in, in developing the power or associating with God is meditating on the word. Become friends with the word. Let that word become a part of you. Seek to own that word. You want to own that. That word transforms us and renews us. Romans 12.2 tells us that. <clears throat> the writer warns us To not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we might prove the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. See, you're here on this earth to prove something. You're here to make proof of what you say you believe and what you say you know. If you don't know how to pray for people, start talking to God and ask him to teach you how to pray. Don't just sit around and and pretend like you. (laughs) Sandy Brown gave the testimony one time. She said she, uh, back in the 80s, that was during some of the Jesus movement where they would have these, you know, really strong visitations from God you know unfortunately people didn't know how to hold on to it but they would have these strong visitations from God and she said she'd been in a meeting where uh, people would get saved like hundreds of people would get saved every night and they just came in off the streets more or less you know it didn't have to be dragged in by anybody or planned to get there they just came and she said that there was such a weeping and repentance in that place, and and when she would get home, sometimes she would still walk in that same spirit, that same anointing. She would walk in, and she walked in after one of these types of meetings, and her her son broke out in tears, and he started crying, and and he told her, he said, "Mama, I need to be saved," and she told him, she said. You're saved. What do you mean you need to be saved? You're saved. You know, you you do this and you do that and you do that. And she said, you're you're saved. You're praying tongues. And he said, no, I don't. I just go yada, yada, yada when nobody's, when y'all are looking so you'll think I, huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so (coughs) she found out. That there, you know, it's possible to go through all the motions and not have the real thing. People will be right there in your midst, and you not know if they're saved or not. And so, they, she was able to pray for him and, and lead him to the Lord. But you know, we have to be careful that we are not conformed to the world. You know, but but that transformation has to take place. Through meditating on the word. And so we are there to prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Or the will of God that God has for us in a mature way. Not just getting our little scraps of morsels here and there from God, but being mature in it. Uh, being able to handle the word of life, being able to be confident that God is with us and that he is working through us. So we are not to be conformed to the world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That transformation process must take place. When you're transformed, you don't think. The first thought you grab is not a thought of gloom and doom and panic. A transformed person is able to, to flow into a familiar train of thought that leads them to God's answer. They're not upset. They're not vexed. If they are, they know to go back into the word until they get that peace. That everything is okay. And so there, there are things that come up in everybody's life that tries to take them off guard. But, but you stay with the word. You have to hug that Bible until it becomes a part of you. You got to sleep with that word until you get it in you. You do whatever you need to do to get that word in you so that you are transformed. You're not that person the devil used to scare all the time. You're not that person who was ready to quit at a moment. You're not that person who is ready to give up. You're not that person who is so touchy and sensitive. You are transformed because your mind is now like Jesus' mind. You've paid the price to get all that old nonsense flushed out and now the word of God is rich in your mind. It's renewing your mind. It's recharging new cells in your mind. It's opening up access to the gifts of the spirit where you can be confident that if you go, if God leads you to pray for somebody, that everything you need is right there present with you to help that person. You're not lacking in anything. Nothing's missing and nothing's broken. So you're whole and entire and you're not lacking in any good thing. To meditate real really means to mutter or chew the word like you're ingesting it. And you are. You think about that word. You ask God to help me understand this word. God, what does this mean? God, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And pretty soon that revelation will open up to you where God begins to show you exactly what it is that he wants you to know. So meditating on the word is a great transforming tool. And it will empower you like nothing else will. If you can, can stay calm when everybody else is falling to pieces, it's got to be God. You got me? You've been transformed by the renewing of your mind. <clears throat> Number three, fight to hold on to the word of God. you got to fight to hold on to the word of God. If you go back to Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 2, you'll see how Jesus fought To hold on to the Word of God. (laughs) Praise God. Jesus went, was full of the Holy Ghost, verse 1 returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit to be tried. You're led by the Spirit of God to be tempted. You're led by the Spirit of God in everything when you're obedient to God. Don't don't uh look at your experiences always in such a negative light. Look at your experiences as planned by God for your good. Planned by God to prove who you are. But because sometimes we have doubts. You know, there are times when we have these unspoken concerns about ourselves. And God knows what they are. Sometimes we wonder, well God, am I going to be able to do this? Am I is is this going to be is this is this ministry going to get to where you want it to get? Is it are we on the right track? All that you have these unspoken concerns. And so we put ourselves sometimes in the midst of the test. Because we have a sense within us that we lack some understanding of our capability to go forward and do the things that God wants us to do. And so we have to make, make, we have to understand that that will lead us to places where that word gets tried. Now listen, God does not give you a test to fail. I'm going to say it again because, see, people, you know, you think of God like you do Miss, Miss whoever she was, the mean teacher in the third grade that kept threatening to flunk you because you couldn't color inside the lines. God is not like that. He ordains every test already knowing that you can pass it and that you will pass it. Listen, you got, you got too much going for you to not make it through what God has you go through. He goes through with you. He counsels you. You have angels to hold you up. You have the strength of God working through you. You have all of this help. How could you fail? God doesn't, He doesn't plan failure for us and he doesn't test us to make us fail. So don't be afraid of the test. You know, you should be like those, you know, the uh, the kid everybody hated in class, a little A student. They, every time the teacher, <laughs> teacher, choose me, choose me. That one. That's who you are in the testing of God. You're the one you're always going to pass and you're always going to pass with flying colors. Because God does not test us. If he, if he knew you weren't up to it and you weren't going to pass through, he would never put you in it. He wouldn't put you in he never puts us in over our heads. He puts us in to prove to ourselves what we are made of. He already knows what you got and he knows what you lack and he'll make up for your deficiencies. The Holy Spirit is your helper. So this is not like you you know you being tested and he just going to laugh if you fail. You're not going to fail. You're not going to fail. You're not going to fail. Failure's not an option. It's not an option. That's not even a deal that's on the table. You know, when God lays out His covenant before you, that's the deal that's on the table. And there's nothing in His covenant about failing. There's stuff in the covenant about obedience and being blessed. There's stuff about disobedience and then there's repentance to get you back in obedience again. There's no curse on this covenant. None of that stuff's on the table. So all you got to do is be cool. You know, just don't mess up too bad. And don't go sit nowhere and feel sorry for yourself. Let the devil come and kick you around. So we have to fight to hold on to the word. So Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. In those days he didn't eat anything. when they were ended, he afterwards he was hungry. but in the midst of that time, the devil came to him and said, "If you're the Son of God, command that these stones would be made bread. Now the devil comes to tempt us to act out in the flesh, to act out in pride. To do something to prove that we're just as good as those other Christians over there that we're always thinking are so much better than everybody. The devil puts that idea in your head too. There's no great people or small people in God's family. He loves us all the same. We all have the same potential. We may not do the same job down here. We're, some are more faithful than others. Some are more uh, uh, work harder than others, so to speak. But still, we have the same relationship with the Father. We have the same potential with Him. You can probably win more people to the Lord than most TV preachers. Huh? Because they are assigned to do what they do. And some of them are not great soul winners because maybe they're assigned to feed the sheep. But you can go out and win souls just by being in in, uh, the the presence of people and responding the way the Lord would have you respond. Just responding correctly. You could win a soul a day. Just like that. You got me? Every time you go out, you would have a word for somebody that would lead them closer to the Lord. (coughs) So Jesus had to resist... The devil, but he resisted him with what it is written. He resisted him with the Word of God. He didn't resist him with his position in the kingdom, he didn't resist him with his sonship he resisted him with the word because that is what the devil must respect there are written judgments against satan and if we will will speak those written judgments we'll get victory in every turn but you cannot win against the devil just by getting mad at him and trying to tell him off and oh the devil's a liar well we all know he's a liar but when he comes to steal your bread off the table what you going to do to him well when he comes to deceive you and to trick you, what are you going to do to him? See? You know, we can always say those little catch phrases, but what do people do to follow up to make that true? If that's true, if he is a liar, why are you listening to him? Uh? If he is a liar, why do you obey what he tells you to do? Why do you even consider his words? Jesus never considered the devil's words. He just answered him and said, He continually answered him and said he finally told him get thee behind me Satan for it is written he positioned the devil out of his face and put him behind him you got me and he stayed behind him you got me he never there's no record that he got up in his face again not like that you know he used other people but mostly the people that challenged Jesus did it behind his back they did it through through deception whispering backbiting secret you know alliances murmuring but very few challenged him you seldom see the pharisees getting up in his face and challenging him hmm? hello Because he put the devil behind him where he belonged. And he had to stay there. When Jesus puts you someplace, you stay there. You understand me? We need to learn how to make it that final. Put him out of your life and make him stay there. When we pray for people to be healed. We'll tell the devil, don't you can't make them sick again. Now you don't come back and you don't do this again, huh? Don't do this again, and it's final. What your intent when you pray for people is that they will be healed, period. Not eventually, not with some pills, not with this, not with that, but they are healed, period, and that's it. So you put him behind you with the word, man. You give him the word and that's how you put him behind you. And so (laughs) the last temptation, he says, uh, tells him to throw himself off a cliff and then let the angels come and catch him. Uh Well, you know, the devil's triple stupid, but he'll try it anyway because, you know, there's some people that'll do stuff like that. There are people would look at the people that have a whole church based on handling snakes. It's the same thing. See. It's the same thing. They're trying to prove their power by getting themselves in a dangerous natural situation. You don't prove anything by putting yourself in natural danger. You're not to tempt the Lord to come and help you. God comes to help you because you need help. Not because you're stupid enough to listen to the devil to put yourself in a position where you need help. I'm going to say it again. God helps you because you need help, not because you're foolish enough to put yourself in a position listening to the devil where you need help. You're not guaranteed any help there because you know better than what you're doing. You know, Sometimes we come out the house with them tight shoes on. No, you shouldn't have put them shoes on. They looked all cute when you were standing up there in the mirror. and Then by the time you get where you're going, you're wobbling on them. Don't tempt the Lord your God. Then you want to go to praying in tongues. Ooh, Jesus, just help me get these. Ooh, just help me make it one more hour. I got one more hour. I'm going to help you on them tight. Shoes was tight when you bought them. You should have left them in the store. If they didn't have your size, leave them there. And believe God for your size. It's coming. So Jesus fought to hold on to the word. You have to fight. You can't let the devil just take from you. You resist him. Quit fighting people, quit fighting ideas, quit fighting nonsense. But you find out that the devil's behind it and you take authority over him. So Jesus contended with the devil's temptation as long as he was on earth. The the Bible says here that Satan left him for a season in verse 13. He departed from him for a season. But you never see him have a confrontation like that again. Why? He passed that test already. You understand me? He passed that test already. You don't go through it twice once you pass it already. So he was led up into the wilderness by the Spirit. He was empowered before he went up. And when he came out, he was anointed for ministry. You know, the anointing is not something you assume. It's something that's conferred upon you. You don't just assume you're anointed because you talk real good. People like you and say you ought to be a preacher. That, that's not the anointing. But you've got to have, some, to me, some devil confrontation experience before the anointing will come upon. You've got to prove that you have authority over all the works of the devil. I can remember when I was new in ministry, it seemed like nothing but witches came to our meetings. I mean, they just, you know, and they'll still show up. Every now and then one will show up. But, you know, in the beginning, that's all that was there. And I would think to myself, I said, you know, I was sitting in the, in a, a women's meeting, and we would have, a, you know, a nice little uh, continental breakfast and coffee or tea, whatever you like, nice white tablecloth on the table. And, and uh, the first job they gave me was to hostess. And if you're a hostess, you they gave you a table, and whoever came and sat, you make sure they got information about the ministry. You know, they made out a guest card, and you tell if they had questions, you answer their questions. And so I'm sitting there being a nice hostess, and this lady sitting just came and sat across from me and started foaming at the mouth. And I said, come on, God, yuck. This is a nice, I got on my nice clothes, it's a nice place. What's, you know, what's the foam about? And so there was a woman that looked at me and told me, she said, like that was, and I said, oh, maybe that's the hostess job. I don't know, hostess, cast out, devils, whatever. But everybody at the table is looking at me like that's my job to do. Well, then people later told me, they said, well, we knew you had the power to do that. Now, they knew it, and I didn't. You understand what I'm saying? But the thing of it is, once that's confirmed, once God confirms his word with signs following, it's there. And if you'll hold on to it, talk to God about it, get to understand it more then it will be a permanent part of your life. It's not just something that will happen here and there and go away. It's to be a permanent part of your life. There's devils everywhere. We need more people in power to cast out more devils. And so you need to pass that test. That's a test of your anointing. That's a test of your calling. When Jesus, when he went to the, the temple after that, he read verse fourteen. He returned in the in in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and there went out fame about him. Why? Because his word was with power, man. Everything he did, if he said it, it happened almost immediately. And so, to me, it was worth it to spend those forty days in the wilderness, because if that's what your testing brings forth, it's worth it. And that's what God wants every test that we go through to yield. He wants it to yield power. He wants us to be empowered after we go through these demonstrations of the power of the word working in us. So all he did was tell the devil what the word said. And then the next thing you know, he's casting the devils out in the temple. That's a good place to find them is in church. (laughs) It's true that. Huh? Absolutely. Absolutely. Devils are everywhere. They like hanging out in church. So when Jesus got in, in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he was brought up as his custom was. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. There was delivered to him the books of the prophet Isaiah. When he opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel, heal the brokenhearted, preach deliverance, recovering of sight, set at liberty those that are bruised, to make people whole. This is the acceptable day of the Lord. And he said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. He wasn't anointed before that time, folks. When you're anointed, you know it. When you're anointed, there's evidence. When you're anointed, you've gone through a test to prove what's there. There's no anointing without proving. I don't care how many times you sing we are anointed. Listen, i lived through it all. I don't care how many times you confess you're anointed. I don't care how many times another preacher tells you you're anointed anyway, and they don't know what you are. They don't know how you live. They don't even know if you're saved. But when you're anointed, God lets you know, and you know it. There's evidence. There's evidence. I remember I was in a Bible study, and I I can tell you I was a stay-at-home Christian for five years until God delivered me from depression. But my gifts didn't start to come alive until I got in the assembly of the believers. Because it's the church that these gifts are entrusted to, not the sit-at-home person. Got me? And I wasn't at home because I wanted to be. I was at home because I felt I was too uh, phobic to be around people. I, I was anxious and nervous. But I finally got free of all the medicine and got an assurance from God that I was free. And so I started to go to meetings where the Lord would lead me to go. And I remember vividly being in a meeting and we were told as, you know, to pray whatever, you know, the person before you pray what they wanted to pray. And we were to take turns vocalizing our prayer request. And the, the, Woman in charge of the the meeting had been a, a in John Osteen's church. She understood faith and the word of faith, and she was a really good teacher. But you know how sometimes people will get a little gimmicky, and so we were supposed to say all of our prayers and then do something and and just forget about it, and God was going to do it, kind of thing. You know, one of those things. Well, when it got to my turn, I started to open my mouth and say things I that wouldn't I was going to pray for something else. And when I opened my mouth, God filled it with words that spoke about the scripture where Paul God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. And I quoted that scripture perfectly. Now, I'd memorized scripture forever, you know, because I was desperate for God and desperate for the word. So I had the word in me, but I didn't know how to get it to do anything. How many of you know you can be in a meeting and think you're there for one thing and God has you there for something else? And so when I began to speak about that, And I I said, uh, God wrought special miracles by the hand of Paul. And I believe somebody needs a special miracle. Well, this one girl, she was a doctor, as a matter of fact, because I worked with her at the hospital years ago, years before that. And she jumped up and she said, oh, my goodness, that's for so-and-so and and -and such-and-such. And so she ran to her car brought back a handkerchief that had that scripture in Acts, I always forget it, it's Acts 16 something, whatever is. what is it? See, I told you I couldn't remember it. And it was embroidered on this handkerchief that she had in her car. And she said, I was at the hospital and one of my patients has a brain tumor. She said, and this woman, she's a young woman and she has children. She said, and I prayed, I said, God, please give this woman a miracle. Her children are so small. And she said that she got that handkerchief somewhere. I don't remember what it is. She says, "She says, and this is the scripture with the hang- on the handkerchief. And so we all looked at the teacher and she looked at us like she didn't know what was going on. She said, well... Let's lay hands on this handkerchief and you take it to her. You know, she knew that much. And so God took that meeting from your average, go around the circle and tell God what you meant about him not giving you yet one more time. You understand what I mean. He took it from being a routine type of unto supernatural helping somebody and bringing a real answer to prayer that was on somebody's heart and on their mind. And I didn't really understand what was going on. And so afterwards I kind of was asking the teacher, I said, well, I don't understand, what was that about? Because I thought I was going to say a prayer. And she said, well, you know, God just moved. You know, real haughty. And so I learned that people who... Mean you well don't always mean you well. They mean you well as long as you can grow to a certain level, but if God begins to really use you, then this other thing comes out. And so that taught me, though. You know what that taught me? That I could always go to God myself in the privacy of my little, where I started out with God in my little closet. Now, don't get me wrong. There have been many teachers who have taught me many things. And I value their teaching very highly. But you're going to have to learn that there are some people who are put into your life to squeeze you to God and trust God more. And there are some people who are put into your life to strengthen you, help you, and instruct you. You're going to run into both kinds. And so from that day forward, I understood that the gifts of the Spirit were for the body of Christ. Because as many times as God had spoken to me and I'd heard from him, I never heard from him on that level until I got in the body of Christ with the body of believers. And there God began to work and to use me. So we have to understand how to grab on the word, how to hold on to the word of God and fight to hold on to it. How to understand when the anointing is upon us. That anointing obligates you to work with God. The anointing is not yours for you to take wherever you want to take it. The anointing belongs to God and God will lead you into the places where he wants to put that anointing to work. Just because you're anointed, that doesn't mean you can go to anybody's meeting and preach anywhere you want to. And ask for a zillion open doors, and just go through them, and think that gift's going to work. That gift, that that anointing is specific. You're specific to where you're called. There are needs that are specific to where you will be. And God has already ordained those works that you're going to you're going to use that you're going to accomplish for Him. So, Jesus often went into a solitary place to commune with the Father, so He could hold on to the Word. Are you kidding me? As much as persecution as he got, and backbiting, and they're trying to throw him off of a cliff, all he ever did was help people. Like he asked the he asked the Pharisees when they arrested him. He said, for, "He said I was with you every day, teaching in the synagogue and helping people. What? Which one of those works are you arresting me for?" And so, you know, you will have to fight to hold on to God's word. You don't have to fight yourself to quit turning that stupid TV on every time your eyes fly open. Huh? That's the big robber right there. huh? I thank God I learned how to. And I was a person who was afraid of solitude and quiet because I was depressed. And my mind was so tormented. But God taught me how to understand that quiet was where he met me. That was my best friend where I could have fellowship and companionship with him. Uh, you know, sometimes you had a TV on and I said, now wait a minute, They didn't they just have this on here? I just saw this like two hours ago and here they're running it back again. And they charge you $100 a month just to keep rerunning them same programs. We got to wake up and realize what's valuable. Learn how to value the right things. Amen. Step number four, you must mix the word with faith. Or it will avail you nothing. The Bible says that, that the, those they died in the wilderness, 40 years in the wilderness. They all, all their carcasses fell because they did not mix the word. It did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith on the part of the hearers. You've got to make up your mind. You're going to believe God's word because you need to believe it. Because you want to believe it. You can believe anything you want to believe. Your believing is a choice. I would much rather mix God's word with faith because that's where the power is. Once it's mixed with faith, it is empowered. It's like a a bullet in the the chamber, you know, getting ready to take off and and go where it needs to go. We need to expect that word to come to pass once it's spoken. Mark 11.23 tells us that. That we can have what we say if we believe it'll happen If we believe the word that we say will come to pass, we can have what we say. Some people believe it when other people say it, not when they say it. You know, prophets oftentimes are really reading on the inside of you what God's trying to speak to your heart, but you won't let it come forth. That's why you feel peaceful once it comes out, because you witness what's already inside you. You know, Now that's not to say prophets, their job isn't necessary. But you must get that inner witness and all they're doing is they're bringing it up so it makes sense in your hearing. When it's inside of you, sometimes it's in pieces and fragments and you hear a little bit there. And, well, God's been saying this word to me or this to me or that to me or something. And the prophet comes to put it all together for you. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's in you. So you need to keep it in you, but it needs to be brought up to your conscious level where you can hear it. And so you can have what you say, though. Once you hear that word of the Lord, you need to start saying it. You need to start rehearsing it. You need to start believing it. You need to hide it in your heart. We need to expect all words that we say come to pass. Be healed. Be delivered. Stretch forth your hand. Move your shoulder. Do something you couldn't do before. We need to expect God to confirm all of those words. They need to come to pass. And the last thing is always expect to see your word confirmed with signs following. I don't care if it takes 10 years. I don't care if it takes 15 years. God will bring it to pass and just hold on to faith in it. Don't judge by time. Don't let time make you a judge of God. If the word hasn't come to pass yet, don't say anything about it. Just learn how to leave your words out there. If it's the word of God and it's a remedy for something, then you need to leave it out there and expect God to confirm it with signs following. Don't ever be afraid to tell somebody, I'm going to pray and we'll expect God to heal you. Don't be afraid to tell people that. I'm going to pray and we're going to expect your your father to be saved and and come into the kingdom. Those are simple things that we know are God's will. I'm going to pray and I'm going to expect God to get you a promotion on your job or get you a better job or put you in a position where you'll have more money for more things or give you wisdom in spending what you have. Nobody wants that prayer answered, but you know what I'm saying. It works too. I don't know about that wisdom stuff. I, don't, I don't want all that wisdom on me. Wisdom, huh? You need that wisdom, huh? So you quit taking it to wherever you taking it, uh, It ain't got no business taking it there, Amen. All right, I'm done. Thank you, Father. <laughs> Father, I thank you for your word and thank you for people who love your word, who are blessed by your word. Who understand your word and love your word. And Lord, I thank you that everybody here is healed, whole, delivered, empowered for every good work. That they can go forth and you confirm their words with signs following. That they will do a good work for you. And we thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If anybody still needs prayer, you can come on up. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. He God. Heard my cry. He heard my cry. And